Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Cody Decker. Cody played professionally for 11 years, including a stint in the major leagues. Right now, he's actually doing a few things, which includes radio, some television, and also helping run a facility in El Paso, Texas. In this episode, we talk about Cody's career, how he got involved with making videos online, including a prank he pulled on Jeff Francoeur, um, which is pretty funny. It's what we actually talk about at the very beginning of this episode. So essentially, Cody was able to convince Jeff Francoeur that another teammate was deaf when he actually wasn't. Um, it's, it was a pretty funny video. I'll put the video in the show notes if anyone wants to watch it. There was over, I think, like 1.5 million views on the video. I, it, it's very, very funny. So I'll put the link in the show notes if you do want to watch the video that Cody made of, of the prank they pulled on Jeff Francoeur. We also get into pinch hitting. The last few years of Cody's career, he was a pinch hitter, and he talks a little bit about you know, how that's really, you know, he took that upon himself to make it an art form and some tips that he gives for players who are in a similar role. We talk about how he works with players right now and what he really emphasizes and focuses on them with, with them. So he's not big on data-driven and having players focus too much on the data and trying to figure out what it means. He believes that's more so for the coach, which I believe the exact same thing. And lastly, we get into you know some of the things that he sees in today's game and you know what what his plans are for the future. So, great episode, very unique, great personality. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Decker Six. So D E C K E K E R D E C K E R Six at Decker Six on Twitter. Great follow on there. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Cody Decker. All right, we are now live with Cody Decker. Cody, appreciate you coming on the show today. Hey, man, I can't thank you enough for having me. So, I, you know, I actually didn't know this, but I remember several years ago, I watched um, the video of you that you made of Jeff Rancor in El Paso. I didn't no idea that was you actually, even after I messaged you about coming on the podcast and then I started doing a research about you. That was one of the funniest things I mean I've ever seen in my life. He's a big old did you dumb know, did you know after that like okay I got something here for the future. Um that, that here's what I I've only talked about this at a couple of times but um I've um I did that prank two other times. That was not the first time I done. I was oh, okay. well versed in that prank. I, w- I was very well known in cutting a bunch of pranks on people. But the uh, that was a prank that both myself and my manager, Pat Murphy, did multiple times. We did it the year before that and and the year before that. So it wasn't like, you know, when when Frenchie came in, the first thing Mur- Murph was the one that brought it to me. He called me. He's like, I just got a phone with Jeff Francois. He's going to be playing for us over in AAA uh, for a little bit. Um Deck, I don't know. I, I I think we could do the deaf guy prank on him. And I just paused. I'm like, no, we can't. No, we cannot. He's like, Deck, I just spoke to this guy for 25 minutes. I I don't think he has a clue what's going on. I think we could do this. <laughs> and then I just said, you really think we can do this? Who do we got? And then when I, I said, I don't know who we have anymore, because we had a player the year before who was very quiet. Um, I, keep in mind, every time we've done this prank, we never one time did a... Uh, an impression of anyone hearing impaired. It was just a guy that was quiet in the corner, minding his own business. 
the reason why it was so great on Jeff Francoeur is because Jeff Francoeur, by the way, you know, you know how Adderall is, is very frowned upon in Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to go through if you do need Adderall, you need to go through so many hoops to get it. Um, you you got to see multiple doctors cleared through multiple layers. I didn't um, know it was that you had to. Go yeah, through. it used to be very easy to get Adderall um, in, in, uh, in professional baseball, but now it's extremely difficult. Jeff Rancor needed Adderall. I cannot stress this enough. Needed Adderall, but couldn't get Adderall. This video was the absolute proof that this guy <laughs> needed Adderall because it wasn't like we were hiding the fact that Jorge Reyes was very, very capable of hearing every word he was saying. Jorge Reyes went to Oregon State. You could have Googled him and seen countless interviews of Jorge speaking very clearly and understanding every question ever asked of him um, audibly. Uh, it, so it was just hilarious that, for, and this went on for a month with Frenchie. Uh, like, and it, we would forget the prank was happening all the time. I, I, I forgot the prank was happening. And then he would do something to remind me going like, Oh man, we're still doing this, aren't we? And then guys are like, you haven't told him. I'm like, have you, <laughs> why is this all on me? This is a team wide prank at this point. Everybody knows. Oh, uh, great. And, yeah. I, I think the, it was finally the last draw. And we talked about it in the film. Uh, our pitching coach at the time was a guy named um, uh, Mike Cather. And I'll never forget it. Jorge Reyes comes in with bases loaded in Tacoma, uh, which is a triple A affiliate for the Seattle Mariners. And he comes in with bases loaded, nobody out, and he strikes out the side. We come in the dugout going crazy. We're just fired up. Just guys going all over. Frenchie sprints in. Now, we're on the right field side in the dugout. But, you know, it's a very – it's an old stadium, so it's a very close dugout to the mound. But surprisingly, distance-wise to right field. So, Jorge's able to come in and sit down, say things to guys, and, Jorge, and Frenchie doesn't know it yet, and he sprints in. Now that Jorge's by himself and Frenchie's so fired up, he slams his glove on the ground, smacks him on the leg and just thumbs up right in Jorge's face. He goes, great job. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. I sprinted because the uh, there's a tunnel into our clubhouse. I sprinted into the clubhouse. I was laughing so hard that I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I, I go in there and my pitching coach, Mike Cather, is already there. He beat me to it. He's on the ground rolling, laughing. And then I got called in the office the next day by Pat Murphy. And he just goes like, Deck, that's enough. We, we got to tell him. <laughs> and uh, we, came, we went over a lot of ideas and how we were going to tell him. Uh, Pat Murphy had a brilliant idea. But the reason we didn't do it was because, one, I thought there might be some legality issues with it. Mm. And the other was uh, <laughs> practically, I just think there's no way he's going to fall for this. It's going to oh, be the whole thing. His so idea great. was that we were taking batting practice in Tacoma. And during a fly ball, we wanted Jorge to fake getting hit in the head with a ball. We wanted to call an ambulance and we wanted Jorge to uh, all of a sudden we wanted Jeff to think it was a miracle and Jorge could hear now. Uh, so we, we came up with all these elaborate ideas and then finally I had to put a stop to it. I'm like, listen, listen, I've been filming interviews with guys. I've been getting their accounts of everything Jeff's doing. If we throw this at the end of the movie and he immediately goes like, guys, what the hell? It's going to ruin the entire prank. Like it needs an ending. And as funny as that ending is and how dumb and idiotic Jeff has been during this time, there's no way, there's no way he's going to fall for that. And I look back going, I don't know. Maybe he could have, he might've. Do you he still keep have. in touch with him? 
Oh yeah, we text all the time. I I, I think Jeff Rancor is one of the the most classy, generous human beings. Not just baseball players, but but people I've ever met in baseball. What That's a cannon for an arm too, an absolute cannon from the outfield. He, he does every. And here's the thing: I think Jeff Rancor got a lot of a lot of flack in his career because you know his second week in Major League Baseball, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the title "The Natural" on it. He was touted to be this next superstar, everything. And people are like, oh, he didn't live up to his potential. Dude, he was an all-star. He played in the World Series, played over 10 years in the big leagues. He had over 100 home runs. This is a this guy was a stud professional baseball player. I'm sorry he didn't hit 800 home runs, but he did something. <laughs> he did some pretty incredible stuff. Jeff Rancor was a guy who could just do everything. Um, put him in the outfield, best arm in baseball. Put him on the mound, throws 95. No, no pitching mechanic, just goes and throws 95. Uh power speed he does everything and he's just what a guy like he's just so much so much fun to play with and share a clubhouse with i'm curious to hear a little bit about your own experience and your career in baseball i know you played a long time professionally in the minor leagues and and made it to the major leagues as well i mean looking back is there anything you would go back and do different like would you continue to to play as long as you did Yes, I, I, you know, I left. The reason why I left when I did is I had some offers on the table that I just didn't want to pass up. Uh, I had been offered some other things in the past, but none of them really piqued my interest. This seemed like a real opportunity to do to finally get to the next level. And at that point, I had been on I've been off the bench in AAA for the previous couple of years. I had been playing great when I got the opportunity to play. But, you know, getting 100 to 200 bats every season off the bench is is very difficult and very, very tricky. And, and, you know, it's I wouldn't say it was a gut punch. It was more of a gut punch in 2016. Uh, I was used to being an everyday player and hitting 30 home runs every year. And, you know, they stopped putting you in that position. You got to figure out a way to compete, you know, getting 200 bats off the bench in AAA. It's not exactly easy to get to the big leagues that way, um, you know. It, it, when you're put in that position and even told out loud by the organization I was with, I was with the Diamondbacks, they basically said, there's really nothing you can do to get back to the big leagues with us. Um, we just want you to, to basically they said, we want you to be crash Davis. We want you to be our triple a guy. We want you to, we want you to be the guy that takes care of the young guys. We want you to, uh, and they, they actually said something in one of my meetings when I signed back with them, they told me we're not going to put you in the big leagues, but we have metrics that show that every team is that you're on is better because you're there. I'm like, oh, can I see those metrics? I'm like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> I said, why not? He's like, because we can't show you everything. I'm like, why not? He's like, because you'll take it and get, take it to another organization. I'm like, dude, am I an engineer and an app builder? Like, what do you think I'm going to do? I wanted to see it because I, I felt complimented by that. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was tricky to do that. So I had some opportunities. Uh, I've been, you know, it was always looking like I was going to be going into media, baseball media after I was done playing. Um, I, I've never made it a quiet, never made it quiet that my, my dreams, my ultimate aspirations, even when I was playing in the minor leagues was, you know, early on in the minor leagues, it's like, I want to be a big league manager. That's what I've always wanted to be. Um, there's just something to it that I, I feel like is just, it's kind of a dream job. Um, but yeah, I just, I felt like it was time for me to, to move on. And I had too many good opportunities to take. And, you know, I, I had a great career and I, I have something that I can, that not many people can say in the history of major league baseball, there's been less than 20,000 players to ever spend one second on a baseball field. That's one third of Dodger stadium. That's not a very large amount of people in over 150 years of major league baseball. So to say that I got a chance to play in the big leagues was pretty special. And the fact that I got to do it as a San Diego Padre, which was the team I came up with, and then my only start, and this is the only thing that really ever got me. My only regret is that I didn't get more of an opportunity when I was in the big leagues. 
Um, I only got one start, but it was very cool that I was at Dodger Stadium. I'm a kid that grew up in Los Angeles. So getting the opportunity to play in front of family and friends uh, on that stage was is something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. So regrets? No, there, there are things I think about more than other things. Um, I do have a regret in 2016. I was between three teams to sign with. And I, I had great offers from all three, and they just happened to be three teams I really wanted to play for. Uh, the Kansas City Royals, who I knew had loved me for years. I already knew that. I knew that going into that offseason. Uh, the Cubs, which was just weirdly my whole life. I grew up watching Dodger games, Red Sox games, Cubs games, and Braves games. Because Cubs games and Braves games and Red Sox games were on everywhere. You know, I had WGN. I could watch Cubs games in the afternoon. Then I would watch uh, the Red Sox, and then I would watch the Dodgers. That was like my everyday routine. Um, so I always wanted to be a Cub and the third team was the Dodgers. Um, and I, I really wanted to sign with the Cubs and I didn't. Instead, I, uh, you know, I signed with the Royals, which was not necessarily a bad thing. It just, I, um, I didn't get the opportunity I thought I was going to get. And, you know, it was not their fault or my fault. It was just kind of one of those things that's, kind of how things shook out and unfortunately I I picked the wrong team not for personal reasons I just I thought that was where the better opportunity was I probably should have signed with the Cubs um, and that led to a lot of weird that led down a different path I always think in 2016 if I signed with the Cubs would my entire path been completely different it might have been but um, I'm very pleased with how my career went. I got to meet amazing people, you know, with the Royals specifically. I, I developed relationships that are some of my best relationships to this day. Uh, you know, assistant GM Gene Watson, who's now the assistant GM of the Angels, is, you know, one of the loveliest men I've ever met in the game. Um, so I have that relationship and a few other relationships with other guys with the Royals that uh, I truly do cherish. Going back to you, you uh, speaking on having to pinch it and triple a and only getting like uh, 100 to 200 at bats a year what i mean did you since you obviously had to do it time and time again was there certain tricks or techniques that you would use to help you because i mean pinch hitting for anyone out there knows any i mean that's extremely extremely difficult so i mean is there any advice you could give to someone out there listening on how to help with that yes and remember when i mentioned the dimebacks wouldn't show me metrics that i requested it took me over a year a year and a half of being with the organization before I, they allowed me to look at certain metrics. And it turns out the reason why was not my initial thought was, well, you'll take this, <clears throat> you'll take this and take it to another organization. It was actually more uh, a reason that I think a lot of players should not be allowed to do metrics. And it made all the sense in the world to me. I just needed them to trust me. And that was, they don't want too many players to see certain metrics um, points because they don't want guys to think about them and misinterpret them because that's the easiest thing to do in baseball. Uh, we, we see it online every day. Uh, you see the quote unquote, you know, online hitting gurus and, and all that. And, you know, they, they take uh, just one phrase and launch angle and then completely misinterpret it into becoming this brand new swing style that, you know, might work for some guys. But for the majority, it's not very practical. Um, so what I wanted to see was, all I wanted to see was, I wanted to take my numbers from the previous six years. I just want to see what did I have trouble with pinch hitting that I didn't have trouble with when I started. And I was able to break down those numbers. And my, I had a theory, and I knew my theory was right, but I wanted it proven to me. And it was true. It was, it was speed. It was velocity. When you, my, my numbers against velocity when I would not pinch hit 
were great. You know, I hammer fastballs, but my numbers and velocity off of velocity when I pinch hit were staggeringly different. My quality contact rate was down 30% compared to when I started. So that was when uh, my final year, I just said, you know what, that's it. I'm going to add a bigger body load. And if I'm going to be off the bench and I got to be on time for a guy throwing 98 plus in the eighth inning, and my goal is to hit a home run because they even say, say it to you, we need you, we needed you to go up and swing big. We don't care if you strike out, you need to go up and try and touch a ball and change the game. If I came into a game late, it was, and they, 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 it was very strategic. I was saved for a moment to either tie or take the lead. I would never go in at any point um, if there wasn't a chance to tie or take the lead. And it was either from the seventh inning on or only the, and maybe the sixth inning if it was a drastic situation. Maybe we're down by three and the bases are loaded. They're like, okay, go. You need to be in this situation, that type of thing. Um, my goal, my, my idea on actual pinch hitting was no matter what, you got to be ready for speed. If that guy throws you four, three bastard sliders, he deserved to get you out. But if you know he's going to throw you 98 at least once, so you got to get on time for it, the end. Um, I became very good friends with the hack attack machine. <clears throat> Once I became that pinch hitter, crank that thing up as high as I possibly can and just get ready for velocity. And, you know, I would, I would say, you know, it's one of those things, you know, throughout your entire career, every time, every at bat you have hunt the fastball, hunt the fastball, adjust otherwise. And that's your hitting approach. You know, I'm sitting there, I'm dead set fastball away, getting ready to drive this ball to right center field. And I'm going to catch it where it's pitched. That's all. That's where I'm set up to do. And that's it. But any competitive hitter will tell you they get in the batter's box. And of course that slider peaks in their head and that changeup peaks in their head. And it gets you slightly off the fastball a little bit more, which is always the mistake of any hitter in my opinion, but there are an occasional, there are occasional guess hitters, but I, I think those guys are either freaks or, or just, lucky or stupid you know it's it's you got to hit what you can see and if i'm sitting there guessing the wrong pitch i'm i know it's going to be a disaster so it's it's just it, it warped i wouldn't say it warped it just kind of modified my mentality in the batter's box understanding i gotta go all in on hunting fastballs the end hunt the fastball hunt the fastball hunt the fastball and it leaked into how i played during games i started in you know i'm like okay i, I started staying on pitches a little bit more and attacking uh, attacking earlier in the counts uh, i i love being aggressive early in the count i really do it's not that i'm against working an account working account but if you got a semblance of power don't don't waste pitches early in the count the best pitches you're going to see are usually early in the count and even o2 counts i still tell my hitters now guys o2 Good. Get on the fastball. That's it. If he throws you that good slider, you're not meant to hit that pitch. But if you swing and miss for strike three on a fastball, how mad at yourself are you going to be? Right. Because you could have hit that, but you weren't ready for it. So would you say when you're working with guys now, and, and maybe this has come up, maybe it hasn't, where guys are, are in a similar role, whether it be high school, college, whatever, and they're having to pinch it and not getting a bunch of playing time, are you telling them like, Hey, like maybe like go up there right away and you're, you're swinging at first pitch. Cause I know some guys, if they're coming off the bench, they don't know, you know, what type of, what the fastball is doing off the pitcher. Is it moving? Is it, you know, is it straight as an arrow? So they'll take that first pitch, but pinch hitting, like now you're down Oh one. So yeah. what, yeah. What, I mean, I, I assume you're, you're going in the same direction. I am on that. Very, very same, same direction. Fat, when you're pinch hitting, you got to be aggressive. You have to be overly aggressive early. And I tell hitters this all the time. And this is 100% true. The, the line, the fine line between aggressive and stupid 
in the batter's box is the finest line you could ever find. But when you're pinch hitting, you have to be aggressive. Oh, oh, right out the gate. You don't get a chance to learn this pitcher. You don't get a chance to see pitches. You don't have enough. You don't have enough of a sample size. You know, like you said, he starts you with that oh, oh fastball on the outer half that you could have handled and maybe put a put a dent into. Well, that now you're down oh one. Why would that pitcher throw that pitch again? I wouldn't get you maybe expand the zone a little bit more. Maybe get a maybe get me to bite on an off speed pitch. Get me to ass out a little bit out in front, um, you know, and that maybe I'll foul that off. And now I'm at oh two. And now this pinch hit a bat where I was in the driver's seat. I am in defense mode in 20 seconds. And that's the worst place you can be when you're pinch hitting. You have to be you have to be aggressive and you've got to put some semblance of fear in that pitcher. Um, if you're pinch hitting and that pitcher feels nothing about you, then you did something very wrong. And it's it's just about how you carry yourself up. Did you ever have times in your career? Well, I'm sure you did as you're a human being, but did you have times in your career where you really struggled with maybe just the confidence or mental side of the game? And if you did, like, was there something that helped you get back on track or was it just that just run its course? Every day, every day. Any hitter that tells you they don't deal with this is either uh, it's one of the two things. One, they're lying. And usually that is the case. They are lying. Uh, I'd say 95% of them are lying. And the 5% that are not lying are don't have a brain in their head. Um, and I was always jealous of those players that were just <laughs> so, so dumb that it doesn't even enter their brain that that they're not supposed to be doing this all the time. I would give anything to drop my IQ 70 points for some baseball games, but it's very hard to do. Um, because you, you know, it's so easy to get in those analytics and a think about the game analytically, as opposed to just going out and playing the game, like a four-year-old, that's what you should do. You already did the work. Now go out there and play the game, but it's very hard not to recognize what guys are doing to you and noticing patterns, but that's where you, Oh, that pattern worked. Oh, that pattern worked. Well, then the next 14 patterns in your head are going to start taking form and whether they're real or not, it's like, it's like that scene in a beautiful mind. Uh, you know, he's he's decoding all of these things out of newspapers. And then you come to find out an hour later, it was all fake and in his own head. That's what baseball players do all the time. They're just sitting there like, OK, well, he threw me that fastball. Well, now he's got that change up in that slider. Let's let's be on the watch out with that. Oh, another fastball. Great. I just overthought the hell out of this game and I could have handled that pitch. It's just anytime anytime a player deals with those things it's almost taboo to even talk about it when you're sitting there saying i'm dealing with some mental health issues or i'm dealing with some confidence issues what i would always do <clears throat> and, and as as dumb as this sounds and it is dumb i freely admit it it's a complete arrogant thing to do but every time i thought things were going wrong i would go on youtube and i type my name in with the word home run and i watch home runs of mine mm. and i would just do that just kind of be like yeah see there's nothing wrong with me Look, I, I'm handling all these guys just fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just in my own way. Uh, you know, it's very easy. And I, I've, I've given this example. This is true. It's, there are three games in my career that stand out as the best game I ever had, like in my life. There's a game in high school I remember I played that will always stack, stand out in my head. There's a, a game in 2018 that will always stick out in my head. And there was a game in 2016. So my first start in 2016, I went three for three with a double, two homers and two walks and just everything barreled. One homer was like 516 feet. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, was I feeling myself that day. And I came back the next day and I went 0 for 5 with 5Ks. Oh, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. I went from the best game of my life to the worst game of my life in 24 hours. And 
I remember the next time I had that game. Next game, next game I had a game just like that. I went four for four, two homers, two doubles, two walks. I just had a monster game, had like seven RBIs, was feeling great about myself. But my first thought was, no, we do not get to enjoy this today. Next day, I was making sure I was in the cage doing my tea work. I liked, I liked getting to the field every day at noon. I liked getting there early. I had this breakfast spot. I would always find a breakfast spot in every town I played in, get there the field early, and I would do my tea routine for about an hour. Wow. Nice and easy. But I would like, I would only swing a bat about 40, 50 times, but I did it when no one was there. So I can just take my sweet time. You know, no, no one messing with me. Just kind of just like a meditation even. Yeah. Just getting a good feel going, play some music, kind of get lost in my own world. Um, so I, 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 I really learned from that 2016 game, never to get too high or too low. you gotta, you gotta stay as even keel as you can, which is a very difficult thing to ask any professional. What if I say, if I say two words to you, I'm curious to hear what you're going to, what your thought mind and goes to just because you were a player not that long ago. And, you know, now you're still very, very involved in the game and work with players data driven. I think it's the worst phrase in, in not just baseball, but all of sports. Really? I, I, I think data is the best thing to happen to baseball. I think how people have misinterpreted and bastardized data has been a real ugly thing for baseball. Um, I think data driven is a very bad way to go about really anything. Um, I think you have to understand that at the end of the day, these are people on the field. They're human beings. They are people that deal with struggles, emotions, the same ones that you deal with and a lot of extra things because they are performing at a very high intense um and high, highly scrutinized job. You know, it's not every day you, you go and play, you go to your, your office job and then go home on Twitter to, you know, to read a hundred comments about how bad you are at your office job. Oh, and you can't say anything back to these people. You have to just sit there and wear it. Oh, because you make so much money, even though there is only a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a percentage that make a lot of money in baseball. So it's, 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 it's very, very, very tricky uh, when it comes to data because I think being data-informed is the best thing you can be in baseball. I think, I think any manager or coach that doesn't take advantage of every ounce of data that's right in front of them is, is foolish. Now it's a matter of interpreting the data and actually finding practical ways to um, implement the data into those players. And to implement that data in a simple and easy way that it doesn't come off like you're reading stereo instructions. You have to exp- you have to explain things. And, and honestly, the majority of the data that is ever shown to baseball players in baseball, it, it's always the same thing. Hit, every hitting issue is always down to one thing and usually always one thing, and it's timing. That's it. Hitting is a combination of balance and timing. That's it. If you, and, you're, and just your ability to see the baseball. I feel like everyone that go oh, swing playing this. I, hey, I love a swing plane. I love hitting through a baseball. I love getting into the details of that. But at the end of the day, it's about getting in the box and competing. You can put the bat in your ass, but if you are on time and balanced, you can still go up in that batter's box and com- compete. Um, I, I, I hate um, that a lot of hitting coaches like to fit people in the same mold. I think that's a dangerous thing to do, uh, not just in, in, in hitting, pitching, at any sports, because two athletes are not the same. I don't want to take this hitter and make him this hitter. And, oh, go, go home and study 
I don't know, Cody Bellinger's swing. Well, you're not Cody Bellinger. I'm not going to tell you how to swing like Cody Bellinger. I got it. And it's an old phrase in sports that, you know, it sounds like I'm just stealing from Ted Lasso, but it's the 100% truth is you can't make athletes into athletes that they aren't. You can't turn them into something that they are. They have to be the best versions of them. Now, how can we make you the best version of you out there? I don't want to see five... Cody Bellinger's. I want to see Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, and Mookie Betts. I want to see all of them because they're all different and they're all incredible, but in different ways. Mm, yeah, that's very good stuff. If if you could, if you had a coach when back when you were playing, what like if I would say like I would need, I want to help Cody Decker. What would like how would in a, an ideal world a coach been able to really help you? when you back when you were playing if you had like a dream scenario like now looking back now that you're coaching helping players how would a coach have really helped you as a hitter your maybe your last couple years I appreciate a a coach that would talk to a hitter um and really talk to him it's not hey you're you know your back you're getting a little lazy on your backside I I never liked I never liked a a hitting coach that came up to me or any coach that came up to me and told me what I'm doing wrong that doesn't I don't think that helps anybody I know what I'm doing wrong. I've been doing this a long time. I know what's wrong. Now, I think it's up to a coach and the player to work together to find out why it's wrong. I, I think that I think that's the one thing we always don't look at, not identifying what the actual problem is, the why of the situation. Hey, you're opening up your front side. Well, why is he opening up his front side? Is he opening up his front side because he's late and he's just trying to open up and he's subconsciously just trying to get his barrel to the ball? Is he coiling his front side, which is forcing him to uncoil, which is taking his barrel in and out of the zone really quick? Is And is that also affecting his timing? Is he getting too far out in his front side, changing the plane of where he's making contact to the ball? I mean, there's so many possible factors on why there is, but we have to identify that rather than, hey, you're late. I know I'm late, but why am I late? Can we figure out why I'm late? And then we can get to, and also I like a hitting coach that wants to, you know, get to know the player and, you know, most hitting coaches have played, you know, they, they've been in the industry. They, they went through the same struggles you did. I think it's important for a coach to identify that even open up with it, give some personal experience on what they did or what they learned from somebody. And it doesn't have to be from somebody that's a name. I mean, the, some of the best hitting coaches I've ever had, I've had some amazing ones. Um, but the best ones I ever had, you never heard of like the very best hitting coaches I ever had. I played for hitting coaches that are, you know, big, big league managers, big league assistant coach. Mark Kotze was my big league hitting coach in the big leagues. He's the bench coach for the A's. Now the best hitting coach I ever had was my double A AA and triple A hitting coach with the San Diego Padres. His name was Tom Tornacasa. This guy was an absolute genius when it came to hitters he knew how to he knew what made them tick he understood what their issues were and his first thought was always address the player before the problem and I loved Mm. that about him and I really think that and you know when you're going through that grind you know you're getting a hitting lesson from a guy yeah if you're going to get a hitting lesson from a guy for one hour that you're paying for you're going to get a lot of mechanical stuff but it's the stuff that's in between the cracks that are away from the mechanics that are more about the competition, more about the game itself. Uh, I think is those are the best coaches, the ones and the ones that can even bring it all back full circle to kind of apply it back to everyday life. Because I think that's the thing about sports. It's the best allegory on how to, you know, live your life going forward because sports ends for all of us. It ended for me, it ended for you. Of course you're a coach now, but like it's, it's, 
so maybe it didn't end, but it's definitely varied for us and changed. Um, I, I think it's really important to take those lessons that you learn on the field and figure out how to apply them in real life as well. I think that's a great point you brought up too. And even just going even a little bit further, I mean, I think if you clean up sometimes just even your approach, and again, that goes into just talking to the players, that can honestly naturally just clean up the mechanics without even you mentioning mm-hmm. anything about mechanics or maybe their oh, confidence. Oh, yeah, I, all the time. That's honestly half the time. I, I'm this is 100. I'm so glad you said that. Um, I worked with this high school kid. And this kid's good. This kid's very good. Should be, he's currently set up to go to a junior college. He is a D1 ready catcher plain and simple and he's got some pop but he started his season a little rough he he does this is a kid who should be leading one of the tops in the states of california of texas and home runs but for some reason he started his season over 12 and he's just rolling over and he's struggling so we, i just decided what's going on he told me what his hitting what his coach told him to do and i was like oh no i don't i don't i think we should get away from that and it's a common thing he, he want. he's like i'm gonna throw you in and i want you to hit everything to right field listen, I don't want you to hit the ball to right field. I want you to drive the hell out of the ball to right field. I, I, I don't want you to inside out anything. I want you to get set up that you're going to hit a ball. Dri- I don't want you to hit it over the right center wall. I want you to knock down the right center wall. Okay, that's what I want you in your head. And now I want you to see the ball and hit it wherever it wants to go. That's it. I want you to attack the baseball. You're on offense. When you have the bat in your hands, you're on offense. And I think hitters forget that too easily. Oh, that's right. I am on offense. Maybe I should be aggressive and offensive. Um, but I told this kid after he had a round off the hack attack, and it just it looked like it looked awful. So I came over. I'm like, hey, man, sit down next to me. Sat down next to me. I'm like, you been watching anything? He's like, yeah, I just watched WandaVision. I'm like, oh, how great was that? We sat there and talked about WandaVision for about 10 minutes. He's like, okay. Did you think I was going to talk to you about your swing? He's like, yeah. I'm like, no, your swing's a mess right now. And it's not physical. It's all, there's nothing wrong with your swing below your neck. Everything above your neck is a disaster. I'm like, I want you to throw everything out. Stop thinking about your mechanics. Stop thinking about this. I want you to stop thinking all together. And on these next few swings, this is all you're going to do. I want you to think about Wanda. I want you to talk out loud. Give me the plot of WandaVision. And all I want you to do in the batter's box is hit a ball over the batter's eye. That's it. I want you to have fun hitting balls over the batter's eye. Go. And he's the next 10 swings. And we had the hit track set up. Next 10 swings, double, 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 all center field, homer to center. Hall Wally sat there and he gave me the entire plot line and threads to WandaVision. That was it. (laughs) I said, how easy was that? He's like, that was easy. I'm like, I know. All you have to do is get out of your own way. Stop thinking about this so much. You're going to make yourself sick because this game can easily make you sick, especially get to the pro ranks, the pro ranks you're playing in the minor leagues. You're playing 142 games a season and very, and you know, God, if you're in the Midwest league, you're going to be playing in some really interesting towns. If you're in the Cal league, you're going to be playing some really interesting towns, <laughs> Texas league. You got some, you got some bus trips that are miserable. I you're in the PCL because you're going to rack some Southwest points at 4 AM that you never wanted. Mm. that that that's honestly great coaching though on your part right there i loved how you took you realized that there was an issue but the issue wasn't uh what most people would, would think it was or you know mechanical or going to mechanics and i love how you took you know the show he was watching and then brought it back to hitting i think that's just great coaching in general and i'm sure that probably would have helped you out you know as when you were a player too if there was times you were struggling like earlier on in your career um 
Yeah, no, I, I love I love hearing stories about that. So what when do you I know you said you have hit tracks there. Do you talk to your players about the technology and like what they only they only they should be focusing on? Because I know, for example, hit tracks, there's a million metrics on there. There is. And the but the it's very easy, especially when you're working with high school and college guys, they, they don't care about certain metrics. They they don't. They only care about the metrics that they hear about in baseball uh, on TV. And unfortunately, one of those is launch angle. I try to make I try to put a tape over the launch <laughs> angle thing because I, I try to explain to hitters. And this is something that I really think we, we need to get back to a little bit. I think launch angle is the thing that's been the most misinterpreted thing in all of baseball metrics. L launch angle is a result. That's what it is. Trying to manipulate that result. I think you're getting away from what hitting actually is. If we're taking if we're sitting here in a home run contest, or if you're having me play so pitch softball, okay, yeah, I might have a slightly more uphill swing, but in an actual baseball game, everything breaks down and breaks away. An uphill swing at that plane doesn't actually make sense, but that's not the point. Your swing already is uphill. Your swing is both uphill and downhill all in the same swing. It's a matter of depth of where you catch the baseball. The way to manipulate a launch angle is just by catching the ball slightly out in front an extra couple of inches. You're taking the same swing to every pitch, but if you're on time, you catch it a little further out in front, that ball's launch angle changes because you're catching it on a slightly different plane of your swing. You don't need to manipulate it. You just got to get on time. That's it. it. It's not much of an adjustment. So I, I, I really think hitters, so how I show that to hitters is I just put them on the tee. And the, it's so fun to watch guys who never were taught how to hit off the tee because their first thought is put the tee on the plate. Well, if you're hitting the ball on the plate, that's too deep, way too deep. Your contact points are out in front of the plate. Every contact point you make is off your front foot, including an outside pitch. That might be right at or just inside your front foot, but everything you hit is out in front. So watching hitters place those tee, I'm like, hey, listen, if you take a proper swing to this, this should go in the other dugout. Like understand where you're actually making contact, where your contact points really are. So guys are wondering why they coil and open up. Well, you've practiced it your whole life because you don't know where you're supposed to be hitting this ball. And, you know, I think the, I think, I think hit tracks is amazing. I really do. I think it gives you amazing information. I think it's fun and visual. Uh, the fact that it's fun and visual gets guys really excited about it, especially at a younger age, you know, high school guys, they, they love it. I love it. I, I loved using it the last several years of my career. You know, I always wanted to take some rounds off the hit tracks. Occasionally I would use the rap Soto, uh, hitting, uh, hitting machine, but I always found that the rap Soto one isn't quite ready yet it's so close um because it does give you other information that i find very useful uh spin axis of the baseball spin of the ball but it also tries to calculate that to say distance of some balls so i've hit some 600 foot home runs off the tee apparently um <laughs> based on the rap soto one but it is very good with its uh exit velo and um yeah, but it's just I, I really like I think really both those companies have done a lot of good work. And I think they they lend a lot of good information to players, provided they know what to do with the information. I think hit tracks gives you so much information. Um, but I really I, I found my I find myself acting like the Diamondbacks. I don't want you having all this information because I don't think you know what you're going to do with it. I think, yeah. it, you know, it could very easily hurt you just as much as it can help you. Um. I do like showing guys exit Velo. I think exit Velo is awesome, but I, you know, I also try to give them the caveat. It's not the end all be all, but 
let's face facts, guys. Exit Velo at 103 to Exit Velo at 95 is two very different hits. Exit Velo at 105 off the on the ground has a much better chance of getting through than a ball 95. That's one to two steps for a middle infielder. So that always comes back to that's not necessarily swing mechanics. You can have your same exact swing mechanics. That's just weightlifting. That's getting stronger. That's becoming a better athlete. Um, you know, if you get stronger, that same swing that you're getting that 95, 96 off the bat could easily get you to 103 off the bat. And, you know, that just that ability to be a better athlete will make you a better baseball player, plain and simple. When you're when you're working with younger kids, and I don't know how young you start working with kids, what do you what do you mainly focus on? Because kids who are younger, they have more mechanical issues. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they're doing sometimes at all. So how do you go about helping those guys? I try very hard to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, I, I don't work with as many young kids under the age of 13 as I used to. You know, when I played, I gave I would give lessons eight hours a day and work with a lot of young kids. Um, I do think the focus uh, for young kids, you know, I see a lot of people always asking, hey, is there any experienced eight U players? No, they're, they're eight. <laughs> there are no experienced eight U players. Like, what are we doing? I, I, I think I think club ball is a thing that has really harmed a lot of people because it's forcing people to kind of like, decide their 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 sport and career at a very young age i think you should try to play as many sports as possible as a kid just keep playing sports become a more well-rounded athlete then by the time you're 13 then i think you can kind of start diving more into one sport you know when you're working with a 12 11 year old kid i i basically this is how i set it up until they're 13 this is it stride pivot swing with balance that's it. If you can hold your finish after you're done swinging the bat and not fall over, you're ahead of the game at the age until you're 12 years old. That's it. As long as you can have a balanced position of a good stride, understand why you stride, which again, I, I love asking that whenever I'm going with young kids. Hey, so the first thing we do that step forward, your stride. Okay, why do we do it? And they never know. And their answer is almost 90% of the time. Oh, it gives you power. Does not do that. Gives you none whatsoever. It's just for timing. You don't even need it. And I try to explain it to him. And then that's sometimes where the hit tracks comes into play for me. I'm able to set something up on the tee. Here's my stride. Hit one off. Uh, great. Here, I'm going to take away my stride and take the same swing. And it's exactly the same numbers. My guys gives you nothing. It's just a timing mechanism. That's why you do it. And then a pivot, you know, getting, getting them and understanding what they're trying to accomplish with the pivot. But I give that to them over time. I don't want to overwhelm them. So it's just stride, pivot, swing. Three, three parts, three simple parts. Once they have that down, now we can start kind of attacking the swing a little bit, the direction of the swing. Um, you know, I do think it's important to teach young kids a, the downward angle to your, to your point of contact. You're not chopping down. You're getting to your point of contact. By the time you get to your point of contact, your swing levels out and actually goes up. But I don't want to teach them that part. I just want them to get, to get them to their point of contact as quickly and efficiently as we can. And then we'll start handling the, the next part. I think piece by piece by piece, but keeping it as simple as possible for young kids is very important. So you're in, you know, you have your own facility in El Paso, Texas. What's, what's the setup like there? Because I was looking online, it looked like you guys do a little bit of everything there. Like there's a weight room there. You guys hit, like, what's the setup like? So I am uh, the associate executive director of a baseball and softball nonprofit out of El Paso called the El Paso Border Youth Athletic Association. The goal of the foundation is to get as many kids into college through baseball and softball, especially underprivileged kids. El Paso is a community that is not known for being super wealthy and is anything but known for baseball. 
sadly. And it should be because it's a huge city with a lot of people, but it's very much in its own island. And when I got to El Paso, I learned that baseball is very much in the dark ages when it comes to training and and development and I really wanted to change that because my first two years playing in El Paso I fell in love with the city and I they gave me so much I wanted to give a little bit back and I I absolutely adore the city of El Paso Texas so getting the opportunity to do this has been great the facility you know we have a lot of programs we have a college prep program a high school prep program both for softball and baseball what you get in those programs it's $80 a month Um, and in those you get four two-hour clinics a month you get an hour in the classroom a week. Uh, in those classroom sessions, you go over NCAA Clearinghouse, SAT prep, um, ACT prep, um, tutoring. It's just the sky's the limit in those in those hour sessions every week. And then you have free reign to our facility. You can come in and hit anytime you want. It's the biggest, most ridiculous bargain I've ever seen in my life. If I was a high school kid, I would have joined the program just for the cage time. Yeah. Um, then we, of course, also have that for our softball side. We have a high school prep program for middle schoolers who are getting ready for high school baseball. Very similar program. And, uh, of course, we also have the uh, Bimo Elite Athletics. They uh, they expanded from Los Angeles and joined us in El Paso. Um, Joe Bimel and Brent Dean are a couple of my best friends in the world. Uh, it was all part of the plan that they come and join us in El Paso and help us grow baseball in El Paso together as a cohesive unit. And we are having some incredible success. Guys, I, I, I mean, I could sit here and talk about – the guys that have, um, you know, that are hitting 90 now and some guys that are touching 95 now. But my favorite stories are, I have the, you know, we have this one kid who I love. He's been in high school prep for a while, but he's very 130 pounds soaking wet. He's a senior and obviously, you know, he's not, uh, he's, he has tools. Like he can swing the bat a little. He does everything right, but he's so small. He's 130 pounds. He's 18 I'm like, and I, I, I want this kid to play, but it's just like, he's, he's still just physically just not at a level that he can after high school. He was throwing 62 miles per hour going into his senior year. He started our program. He started the Bimo program. He is now throwing 80 miles per hour. And I can, and I'm looking, I'm looking for like NAI, NAIA schools, D3 schools, because he's got good grades as well. I'm just like, this kid's going to be able to play after 18 years old. Wow. I mean, in six months, he went from 62 to 80. And I couldn't be more happy and proud of this kid because he's a wonderful kid. And I, I tell kids all the time, listen, forget, forget the level. I don't care what the level is. If you play after the age of 18, you've accomplished something extraordinary. The end. If you get to play in at a, at a D1, D2, D3, NAIA, junior college, you've accomplished something staggering. And uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that just how much smaller the pool gets at every level you go. Where, where can people find you at right now? Cause I know you do, you do a lot of things. You're doing the baseball thing, but you're also doing some film and radio. Like if someone wants to listen to just some content you're putting out, where should, where should they be able to find you? Well, you uh, right now I'm in between spots at the moment. I, my, 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 I've been with radio.com sports for about the last almost two years and it's been wonderful. I'm uh, currently chatting of course with them right now about continuing my, my radio.com sports uh, membership. I, I couldn't say more nice things about the company. I'm, I've been appearing a lot on the score in Chicago and uh, WFAN in New York. I'll be on WFAN later today. In fact, uh, on the uh, Carton and Roberts show. Uh, yeah, it's just, I, I'm all over the place. Just follow me on Twitter at Decker six and anti-hero baseball on Instagram. Also, please check out our website uh, for the El Paso border youth athletic association. It's uh, borderyouth.org. You know, any any way anyone could 
uh, help out. If if this sounds like something that you're interested in, want to donate to, by all means, go to borderyouth.org. If it's something that you can't, but but you know some that might, please share it with them. Or even something as simple as just like a retweet is does wonders. It's just you know we're just trying to help out kids who'd never had an opportunity. Borderyouth.org. That's what borderyouth.org. Yeah. Okay. We'll put and, that link in the show notes too for those. Oh, please who, do. Yeah, uh, but but also, you know, I I'm also a kid who is well aware that I had opportunities most did not. You know, I was from Los Angeles, California. It's a hotbed of baseball. Hotbed. I grew up. Uh, my hitting co- my personal hitting coach was Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith was at the time the Dodgers hitting coach um, in the big leagues, and that was my hitting coach when I was eight. Like I, um, I that's as spoiled as spoiled gets, um, and that's not lost on me. And I'm, and it's not lost on me the um, the amount of opportunities I got because of the people I was surrounded by. Um, El pa- the kids in El Paso don't have that now. They do because I mean, not that I'm at Reggie Smith's level, but you know, there's, uh, you know, I I played in the big leagues. Brent Dean played ten years of professional baseball. Joe Bimel played fifteen years. Fernie Fernie Rodriguez, who's with us, he played ten years professional baseball and four years in the big leagues. Like we we have so much experience in this place, and it's it's wonderful because these kids don't get the opportunity to learn from guys that have been there who have gone through all their struggles, who have also failed at every level and can help them through our failures um, to help them navigate how they can succeed where possibly we failed. Um, It's a real exciting thing to be a part of. And when you see one kid reach a new goal, man, it, it makes it, it's a grind. It's definitely a grind, but it's, it's all worth it. Every time a kid accomplishes something, when you see a kid hit 90 for the first time, my God, it's just, it's like you accomplish something. Um, and it's not because I'm, and I, I, one of the kids wrote an amazing tweet. He hit 90 for the first time. And he wrote this lovely post thanking me and all the other coaches there. And I'm just like, dude, I think this is the one thing where I think every coach does sometimes lose this, the perspective. And it's, we didn't do anything. We really didn't. We, we, we gave you the information. We tried to push you at times, but at the end of the day, that player did the work. They did it. I, I, I'm so happy I got to help facilitate it, but I did nothing. And I, and, and that's something I, I, I want those kids to know that they did the work and that's, they accomplished something. And that makes me feel like it's all worth it. That's awesome. Cody, I, I appreciate your time. I know you're so busy. You're going from Texas to LA. And, and I mean, you're just, you're a machine. And thank you so much for continuing to push the game forward and to help out kids who, who may not have the opportunity to. That's just incredible to, to hear about and see. Um, so we'll put that, I mean, borderyouth.org, we'll put that in the show notes too if anyone wants to go check that out or donate. But again, Cody, I just appreciate you coming on the time or coming on the show and, and appreciate your time. Hey, man, thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. 